I'd like to start this morning with a little church family moment, if you will, for us both here in the auditorium and in the venue this morning. I'd, I'd like to read a little prayer request that I received last week, and of course I would never read any uh, specific details. This is a very general prayer request, but I think it speaks powerfully to what we talked about last week, and I'd like to address it at the beginning of this morning's message. Someone wrote on the prayer request, Oh, Adrian, some in the congregation have, just for reference, this is related to last week's sermon on parenting, okay? Some in the congregation have tried to raise children in biblical principles with love and discipline, only to have them make wrong choices as adults. It is easy for them to blame their parents for their rebellion and wrong choices. And too often, society also asks the question, what did the parent do wrong? I know it was not your intent to point fingers. I pray for you and Susie. Thank you. Your sermon was right on about parenting and what we need. It just sometimes does not result in what we desire or intend or in what God desires for them. I couldn't say it any better. That is so beautifully said. And uh, I think we need to just acknowledge that that is kind of the elephant in the room whenever you talk about this topic of parenting in the church or you go to a parenting conference or you read a parenting book it's this sense of guilt that I did what I could. I did what you talked about last week, Adrian. You, you noted that uh, consistent expectations coupled with consistent consequences lead to more consistent results when coupled with more consistent love. You, you noted all of that, Adrian, and, and you said we need to train our kids up in love and train our kids up with proper discipline, but it hasn't turned out just the way I expected. And the result is that many of you, including this person who had the boldness to, to write that note, feel this sense of guilt. And I, I just want you to know that I prayed for you, whoever you are last week, and I prayed for the many other families I know in this church who are in the exact same boat. And many, many other families, many mothers and fathers that I've known across decades that are in the same boat who are fantastic parents. But whenever we get to this subject, they feel this ominous sense of guilt. Part of it comes from this very well-known passage in the book of Proverbs, I might add. You'll remember Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will not turn from it. And parents are taught this proverb repeatedly in the church and again repeatedly in parenting books such that they are sometimes led to believe it's this ironclad promise. I want to speak to it for a moment as we have this church family moment. The, the truth is there are two different uh, explanations for this proverb and scholars disagree about which explanation is most correct. Some scholars argue that this proverb refers to a parent's job to train their children spiritually to love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when the child is old, he or she will not depart from it. They might turn from it for a time, but eventually they'll come back to the way they were raised spiritually. And you can argue for that. 
many scholars do. But there are other scholars that say, you know, Proverbs isn't really even speaking about spiritual life for the most part. And the book of Proverbs really isn't speaking about eternal life. And more often, what the book of Proverbs is speaking to is this reality of this is how you live a good life, and here's how you train someone toward a good life. And so they say that what Solomon is referring to here is you train a child in the way that he should go according to the way God made him. So if God made your child to be good with his hands, you train your child to be a mechanic or a plumber or to work in construction or whatever the case may be, such that when they're old, they will not turn from it, they'll be satisfied in it. Or maybe your child is gifted in study. And so you train your child and give them every opportunity to go to college such that they have that opportunity. You train your daughter who's gifted in science to become an engineer such that when she's old, she'll be satisfied in the way that God has made her. When she's old, she will not depart from it. She'll be grateful for how she's been made and that her parents trained her toward that. Again, I'm not positive it's either of those explanations. I'm not sure which is right, but I think it needs to be noted that even if it's the former, even if it's related to the spiritual life, training someone up spiritually, and this sense that they will uh, follow Christ as they are trained toward Christ, well, this is a proverb. And proverbs, by their very definition, are not ironclad promises. They're proverbs. They're generalities. What it's saying is generally, if you do this in the Proverbs, then you will get this. Not 100% of the time, as you read through the Proverbs, you see it's not 100% of the time, but oftentimes, if you do this, then this will result. But we need to remind ourselves that these are not promises. It's really interesting that Solomon wrote that proverb, and he was raised by King David, who presumably, along with his wife, raised Solomon in the way he should go, right? Can we assume that? But when Solomon was old, did he depart from it? He sure did. I mean, David made many mistakes, but he was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord deeply, and he raised Solomon in the way he should go. But when Solomon was old, Solomon went off the tracks, if you know your Bible history. And if you think of it as an ironclad promise, this behavioral psychology approach, if you will, that you train your child to love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that when they're old, they always will, that it's a promise, would salvation then be by the grace of God through the instrument of faith, or would salvation then be by the parent's training? You hear me? No. It is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, such that no man or woman or any parent can boast. It's a gift of God. And the result of that is uh, no parent can look at their kids who are doing quite well and say, oh, check out my kids and my trophy case. I did it well. We don't get all the credit. And we don't get all the blame when they don't turn out just the way we hoped. We don't have to go through this insufferable experience that many families go through of feeling constant guilt and condemnation because their kids continue to struggle. 
No, we train our kids to love God fully and to love others as Christ would. We take it seriously. Again, as we noted last week, consistent expectations with consistent consequences and consistent love yield more consistent results. But it's not a 100% correlation. It's not a perfect one-to-one correlation because God has given them a mind of their own. They belong to the Lord And their being followers of Christ, their becoming followers of Christ, will result on the rescuing grace of God received by faith. And they must receive it or reject it. And he did not make them robots or automons. And so there's no guilt, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus today. I I pray that if you're in that spot that relates to that prayer request that I just read, that you know there's no guilt, that you know there's no condemnation. The gospel liberates. The gospel does not condemn. And so we remind ourselves, we'd be wise to remind ourselves on a regular basis that God loves our children more than we ever could. And God invites our children to him. And we do all that we can because it's such a serious matter to raise our kids in love and discipline knowing full well that we will fail, but God forgives, and God gives them an opportunity to receive what he has given. But none of us gets all the credit, and none of us gets all the blame. Does that make sense? Anyone? Hope to see a few heads moving with me. It helps me when I fail to know that at the end of the day, I'll do the very best I can, but my kids do not belong in a trophy case or any wall of shame. Okay, that's a bonus for you. That was not the sermon. That's just a bonus for you. Okay, let's, let's get into the message now. All right? We're going to look at five ways that we can uh, train our kids and train ourselves up. These are just five questions that I ask myself as I'm seeking to point my kids toward the love and the mercy and the character and the grace of Christ. The first one has everything to do with integrity. And the question that I have to ask myself is, am I the same person when no one is watching? Who am I when nobody is watching me? And it's the question that we all have to ask ourselves. Are we the same person here as we are there? Character must be taught. I believe that with every fiber of my being, we have to teach character to our kids. But I also believe with every fiber of my being, that character is far more caught than it is taught. Can I get an amen? I mean, we catch the character that we see. When we're watching our grandparents, when we're watching our parents, when we're watching our mentors, we catch the character that we have. And so the most important thing that we can give to our kids is the godly man or woman that we are becoming. When they see this woman of God, when they see this man of God that is growing with Christ, that's the most powerful thing that we can give to our kids. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in integrity, how blessed are his children after him. What a word picture that is. Oh, I love that. Think about this. The righteous man or woman who walks in integrity, that she follows the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. She's the same person with her friends as she is with her family. She's the same person at work as she is at home, as she is at church. How blessed are her kids as they follow her. They're blessed by 
her shadow. Their shadow provides shade for them as they follow in the same direction as she laid out. As he walks in integrity, how blessed are the kids that follow him because he's laid out a pathway that they would take. Beautiful word picture for us. That we walk in integrity and our kids are blessed as they follow us. Why are they so blessed by this? Because they have the power, the unmistakable power of being able to witness a life well lived, not with perfection, but with consistency over decades. And when you see it, it's unmistakable. You cannot argue against it. I think of our elder board here at Carnegie Free when I think of integrity. I mean, this is a group of men who are put in their positions of authority because they are so respected. They're not respected because they have positions of authority. No, it's the opposite. They have positions of authority because they're respected for their integrity. It's been such a joy for me to get to know these gentlemen over the past year and a half and see they think before they speak. They're men of their word. They're dependable in action and in what they say. They're the same person with their wives as they are in the boardroom. They're the same person in their church as they are in the community, as they are in their neighborhoods. How blessed is the congregation that follows them. How blessed is their children that follow them. Now, do they get it right 100% of the time? No, everyone say it all together. No, of course not. None of us gets it right 100% of the time. But character is caught when consistency is the goal, when consistency is witnessed over time. Okay, that's the first idea, integrity. The second question relates to availability. What can I say no to in order to say yes to my kids? If you're a mother or father of young kids, as I am, maybe you have grade school kids or even middle school kids, uh, maybe you're a grandparent, well, with that age kids, what's the very first question, though, that you get when you come home from work? Mama, will you play with me? <laughs> and then after dinner, Dad, will you play with me? And then before bed, Dad, will you play with me? Then after devotions, when it's way past bedtime, Dad, will you play with me? Uh, the, the common question for me these days at 6 a.m. is, Dad, will you wrestle with me? Ugh. I mean, they're the, the sweetest words and sometimes the most tiring words that we'll experience during our short sojourn here on earth. And Jesus demonstrates the beauty of availability to kids. If you look at Matthew 18 and Matthew 19, you'll see these on the screen, or you can turn there in your Bible. But it's really fascinating the way he demonstrates this beauty of availability to children. And in, in Matthew 18, the, the context that you have here, a number of different places in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, 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 the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. They're saying to Jesus, who's the greatest among us? And who gets to sit at your right hand and your left hand when you ascend to heaven? And here's Jesus' response to the disciples. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and calling to him a child, Jesus put that child in the midst of them and he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Oh, what's he getting at there? I think he's speaking about the beauty of children that is different than the beauty of adults in many, many different ways. He could be referring to the relative innocence of kids. He could be referring to the total joy that kids frequently have, the uh, inexpressible joy that they demonstrate. But I think more than anything, what Jesus is referring to here when he says, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God, is he's talking about the humility, the humility of children. And you say, well, my kids aren't that humble. <laughs> but they're humble when they receive a gift. They know they couldn't earn the gift. And so also Jesus wants us to be humble when we receive a gift both from him and from others. Understand that we cannot earn it, but we just receive it. And the beauty of availability is that when we get on our hands and knees, when we get on our bottom and we play with our kids, they get to teach us humility. They get to teach us what it is to simply receive. And so we humble ourselves at times to get down at their level to look in their eyes and to play with the ladybugs and to play with the Legos and to do the coloring pages and to build those beautiful puzzles that we get annoyed with and to sing the song along with the Elsa doll, let it go, let it go, let it go. And if you don't know what, you're ta- what I'm talking about, you haven't missed anything. <laughs> but friends, when, when we do this, when we get on their level, they're able to teach us humility. And Jesus understood this. He, he used kids as an object lesson in this way when his friends, the disciples, did not. Look over at the very next chapter, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 13. So he just said, become like little children, otherwise you won't enter the kingdom of God. Be humble to receive. We need to be givers and receivers. Then he goes on to chapter 19, verse 13. He says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. They didn't get it. They're shooing the kids off. Get these kids away from him. He's too busy. He's got more important things to deal with than these little kids. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, and he laid his hands on them. Oh, Jesus is just so beautiful in his care for people where they are. And the disciples were shooing the kids off for much the same reason that adults shoo the kids off today because they got more important things to do. And when you sit and you spend time well with kids, it is by nature non-productive. By nature, it's non-productive, but it's being in their presence that you offer them the most beautiful gift that money cannot buy, the gift of availability, the gift of presence, to show them that even though our most precious commodity is our time, and even though we live in such a frantically paced world in which there's so much work to be done and so many hobbies and so many Facebook entries to be made, that even in the midst of all that, we we think that it's wise sometimes to say no to all those other things in order to give our kids the most precious gift of our time. Now, we can't do that 100% of the time, and I'm not suggesting that at all. In fact, I think it's, it's really a bad thing when parents show their kids that they're like the center of the solar system. That that's not a good thing. Well, when, when all of life orbits around the kids and, and we tell the kids that, yes, you can play 
football and basketball and baseball and wrestling and track and field and tennis and golf and do art lessons and piano lessons and anyone else? (laughs) I mean, it's just exhausting. And you tell your kids, you say yes to everything. Oh, it's just impossible to also say yes to a robust spiritual life. It's also impossible then to say yes to a robust family life in which we have meals together on a regular basis. We teach our kids to say no to some good things in order that they could say yes to the best things and perhaps in the process they'd be raised into spiritual champions as we say no to some good things and we make ourselves available for the best things. I'd like to read a little portion from a book, Raising Your Kids to Love the Lord, and this is on the back of your insert. It's one of our recommended resources. We have a bunch of resources out at a resource wall in the lobby way. And um, this is just one of them. It's by author and pastor Dave Sloan. He writes this. I grew up in a preacher's home, so I take notice. My father was busy with a demanding schedule, but he always made time for family. One day, my dad received a telephone call from the preacher of a large, very well-known church. As I listened from the other room, it was obvious dad was being asked to come and speak. His excitement was evident. February 3rd, I'd love to. First, let me check my calendar. He went bounding up the stairs to get his calendar, and as he did, my heart sank. February 3rd was the night of a program at my middle school, and I had a significant part in the play. Dad returned to the kitchen, wall phone, and flipped through the pages of his appointment booklet. At last, I heard him say, February 3rd? No, I'm sorry, but I already have a commitment on that evening, maybe some other time. Without saying a single word to me, my dad communicated his availability, his love, and support. I was his commitment, and nothing could entice him away from an appointment with his son. In that availability, I saw God. Now, why is that 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 brings a tear to our eyes? Because we know it's true. We know it's good. And how much we longed for that as kids. And how much our kids know it's true when they see it. We say no to some things in order to say yes to them. Number three relates to Bible. And the question I have there is how am I teaching them the power of the Scriptures? You might remember back in the book of Deuteronomy as God is preparing the Israelites to um, exit the wilderness and enter the promised land. He begins giving them all kinds of instructions for the way they would live in the promised land. And there's a beautiful passage in Deuteronomy 6 that gives instruction for the way they are to impress the Scriptures onto their kids. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And you shall teach your kids. You shall, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk on the way. When you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I just ask, what's God getting at there? He's getting at a life that is saturated in the Word of God. 
He's getting a life that is saturated in the Bible. He says it's, it's so important, though, that you want to put these words on the doorposts of your house. So important, though, that you want to put these words on the shawls that you wear on your sleeves. It's so important that you want to talk about these words with your kids when they lie down and when they arise and before dinner and at nighttime. And you just saturate yourself in the scriptures because they last. It's really a beautiful thing what Jews have done across the centuries and many Jews still do today is you go into a Jewish home and you see what's called a mezuzah. You'll see a mezuzah up on the screen. It's just a little scroll that is in a small box that is put on the doorposts of all the different doorposts in a home. And there might be many different passages written on these scrolls in these boxes placed in the doorposts that people go by the doorposts and touch them and they're reminded, these are our family passages. These are the passages that we hold on to in this home. Or you think of the talit, which is the ancient Jewish prayer shawl that is regularly worn by Jewish men as they pray. And it's a shawl that would go over their head, but it would also extend all the way down into their arms. And the way they would write it into their arms, write on, was not tattoos back then. That's okay. Some people write Bible verses of tattoos today. I'm not saying you can't ever do that. But, but the way they did it back then was they had these shawls. And on those shawls were these Hebrew passages that spoke to them the words of Scripture as they're praying the words of Scripture. The point of it all is, how do you get the Bible into your home? How do you do it? One of the things that I love to do is memorize Scripture. And I just take these little three-by-five cards and I write down Bible passages. And I'll read through those passages maybe 20 times in a day and do that for a couple weeks. And then it's in me. I pray through it and... And I ask God to help me memorize it. And it's, it's in here, and it goes in here, and as I pray through it, it gets in here. And, and, and then after I, I memorize those, I talk about those passages well with my kids. Memorize passages related to bragging. Anyone else have a problem with that in your home? Or pride? Or respect? Or discipline? Or purity? Or faith? Or generosity? You name it. Memorize passages related to all of that, and the Word of God will not return void. Or you might lead your family in family devotions. And we got a whole bunch of books downstairs that are for sale at a great cost, wonderful family devotion books. And some people say to me, well, I don't have room to do that seven days a week. Don't do it seven days a week. Do it two days a week. Start somewhere. Start small. Do it two or three days a week, ten minutes of devotions well with your kids, You'll learn a ton as you take your kids through devotions. Last week I was talking to a couple pastors on our staff about this, and one of them stopped and shared a story. He said that when his daughter was a little bit younger, he was leading his daughter in a family devotion, and they got to a difficult story, and his, father, his, his daughter didn't understand the story as, as dad was explaining it to, him, to, to her. And uh, he said, well, it's okay, honey. Let me explain it again through a different angle. And daughter looks dad in the eye, pastor dad in the eye, and, and says, that's okay, Dad. We'll just wait till Mom gets home. <laughs> and he had the sense to just be quiet and wait till Mom gets home. <laughs> you, you see, this is hard for all of us, pastors included. Like, we'll all miss it sometimes. But we get to learn in the process with our kids. And the point is, if we're not finding a way to get the Scriptures into us and the Scriptures into our home and the Scriptures into our kids, what happens we get saturated in social media. 
and saturated in video games and television. I'm not saying don't use any of those things. They can have their proper place, but we got to get our minds saturated in the unchanging Word of God, which gives us hope through the most difficult seasons, which gives us stability when it feels like we're in a world that is constantly changing, that gives us direction for where we are to go, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, heart and spirit, able to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Yeah, yeah. Get the scriptures into us. Train ourselves in the word of God. Train our families in the word of God. It lasts when other things do not. Question number four, how am I consistently bringing my kids to the Lord in prayer? You know, prayer, far from being the last resort, which I've sometimes said, I'm not sure what to do, I just got to pray. <laughs> okay, like why would I say that? That's the first thing to do. It's not a last resort. It's our greatest resort, our first, first option. And you think of the different ways that you can pray for your kids and pray with your kids and, and pray Pray uh, for your kids in silence. And I, I try to think of, of three different ways, but praying with my kids. That, that Elijah and Silas would come with me. and I, God, make, make Elijah a leader today at school. Silas, we, we, God, would you let Silas know that he's so deeply loved today at school? But would you let these boys know that, our, that their parents are always for them? Would you, would you please forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we failed Silas and Elijah? We pray that way in front of our kids. And then we allow our kids to hear us prayer when we're doing our own devotions. Hear us pray during our own devotions. God, we're praying for that family that we saw on the side of the road. Show us, is there something we can do for that family? God, we're praying for the missionaries, though, that we support. Show us how we should support them more. Father, we're praying for these families in our church that are struggling. Would you please bless them? Would you grant them your courage? Would you sustain them right now? And then finally... Uh, develop a cadre of prayers that you pray for them in secret when they don't even hear you praying. And, and you pray for their spirit that they would come to know Christ as Savior. And you pray for their mind that they would make wise decisions. You pray for their body that they would be bathed in purity. You pray for their mouth that they would use their mouth for blessing and not for cursing. You pray over the entirety of their body and spirit. And you trust in the Lord to do great things through prayer. I invite you to do that for your kids and for your grandkids, to the kids that you're mentoring or helping down in E-Free Kids this very week. Take a couple days and do that for those kids because prayer demonstrates dependence on God. And there's nothing in the world that shows us our need for dependence on God like parenting. And so when we start to think about parenting and start praying for our kids, it, it rises to this level, oh, I really need you, God. I don't have what it takes. I am weak. But, dear God, your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. And so I come to you. That leads us to the final question, which is trust. And the question related to trust is, do I trust in the goodness and the graciousness of God for my family no matter what? When things don't turn out the way I expected, do I trust in the goodness of God? When God gives me something that I didn't expect with one of my kids, do I trust in the good and gracious hand of God? We have a brave family here 
Brady and Sherry Bonsall, who have shared a bit of their story in which they were given something by God that wasn't exactly what they expected. And they've learned to trust God in the midst of that and see God's blessings in the midst of it. It's a powerful testimony. It's seven minutes, but it's worthy of every second. Would you take a look? I'm Brady Bonsall, and this is my wife, Sherry, and uh, we've got five kids. Uh, you know, our, our daughter, Haley, who's, who's 10, uh, probably about, about two weeks after I accepted uh, a position here in Kearney, so we were, we were moving from a couple of hours away. About two weeks after I accepted that as, is the first time that we noticed that um, there, was, there was some sort of a, a tick or something that we couldn't identify for sure, and it turns out uh, it was infantile spasms, which is a, a form of epilepsy. I remember the, the doctor gave us the diagnosis at Children's in Omaha, Children's Hospital in Omaha, and. Um, she just said it very matter-of-factly, told us that it was poor prognosis, just said it very, um, it felt very heartless as she was telling it to us. There was a lot of shock on, on our part and fear and um, uncertainty of what the future would look like. and. Um, it was neat to see God move us to Kearney because right away we were given a lot of resources that we wouldn't have had in Ogallala had we stayed there. And so once, once the seizures went away, it's almost like that peeled away that layer, but there's other layers under that. And so, so for her now, it's pretty significant autism that has set in. It's, it's wearing um, Haley. It would be like having a two-year-old all the time, a one and a half to two year old who doesn't understand danger or anything like that, you can't trust them for more than 30 seconds. Gets into things, yeah. makes messes, breaks things, but physically is a very active, athletic 10 year old. That translates into our family that someone is literally always watching her. You know, if I have to go do something, I'll say, Nathan, could you watch Haley? I have to go, you know, whatever it is. And the kids, the other kids just, that's normal to them that someone always is watching Haley. And an example, what, this is just a normal example. One day I was doing the laundry. She went out into the backyard. All I did was take out the clothes out of the washer, put them in the dryer. And in that amount of time, I went out to check on her in the backyard. She had. I saw the gate was open. She had gone out the gate, out the front yard. I ran to the street. She doesn't talk, so you can't call for her. She won't answer. She had already run a block and a half down the street, and another car was coming, and I know that she doesn't know to stay on her side of the road, but that car probably thought she knew to stay on her side of the road, and so I took off sprinting, and sure enough, she did start to veer into the path of that other vehicle and they stopped but that's just that's a constant with her so. I think it's really easy considering it's a struggle and, and it's challenging and, and all of that to uh, it's actually pretty easy to forget the blessings or not you know you know how it is when when there's something negative you can just dwell on it forever and when there's a blessing you celebrate it for 30 seconds <laughs> and then you move on to the next negative thing to dwell on 
I think too, I was hearing on my bridge radio this week about, they were talking about what is the object of your faith and you know, that should be God himself, should be the object of your faith, but sometimes the object of our faith is either a certain outcome or, or just our faith itself. We think we can muster up enough faith. Um, and early on I struggled with that because I had faith in the outcome that Haley would be healed. I wanted, I wanted this to be healed, you know, and I didn't want to go down this path, but, but that, is, that wasn't what God had in mind. And I guess I've just grown to realize I do want to have open hands with my life, with what He wants to do with our life, and um, whatever that may be. And I just, I just want to have faith in who He is, in you know, God Himself. Um, I remember the deacon and deaconesses bought a pool pass for our family when Haley was little, and that meant so much to the other kids because sometimes they, you know, there's many times even nowadays they'll their friends will want them to go do something and they'll have to tell them, sorry, I have to watch my sister. You know, they they have to make sacrifices too. So um, I think it's important to remember. The other kids, people can help bless the other kids too. I was given this, it's, it's entitled Welcome to Holland. I was given it by another mother who has a special needs child and it just talks about when you have a special needs child, it's sort of like everyone's going to Italy. It's flashy, it's exciting, that's where everyone's going, but you get off the plane and you landed in Holland, that's not what you expected. and um, it's a slower pace and it's not as flashy and you keep hearing everybody else talk about how great it is to go to Italy and um, you know it, it says but everyone you know is busy coming and going and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there and for the rest of your life you will say yes that's where I was supposed to go that's what I had planned and the pain of that will never ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss and it goes on to talk about you know now this person says I've been in Holland for over a decade now and it has become home this journey has been more challenging and at times I would and still do stomp my feet and cry out in frustration and protest but I have learned to slow down in ways too and look closer at things with a new appreciation for Holland and I think I think that's important, you know, Paul talks about being content in whatever circumstance you're in and I think truly that's where you're going to find your joy is, is being content with what God has given you. I'm so grateful for the Bonsall family to share that story and we're so grateful for Haley and that entire family. You know, Sherry said something there that I think is so powerful for us to hold on to today. I wrote it down. She said, I want to have open hands with my life, with what he wants to do with our lives. And I want to have faith in who he is. I want to have faith in God himself. That's what it is to trust in the goodness and the grace of God. 
when things don't go just the way you anticipated them to go. It strikes me that the sooner we release our kids to the Lord, the better it will be for them and the better it will be for us as we seek to steward our kids with the 20 short years that God has given us. And we all can point to many different ways that we've missed the mark in our parenting. We can all point to many different ways where things didn't happen just the way we thought that they would. And I pray that you would hear from me right now that in those moments there is the grace of God. In those moments there is tremendous forgiveness from the hand of God. In those moments is the presence of God. And He is able to redeem. He is able to restore. He is able to rebuild. He is able to renew. And I pray that for any families in this room who are not at peace with their kids or any families in this room where you just feel a sense of pain as you hear this message, that God is still able to do those things for you. And God is still able to forgive for things that cannot be rebuilt. He is still a forgiving God. And we trust in his goodness. We trust in his grace. We trust in his love together. Would you do this as we close? Would you stand up with me? And we're going to read one final verse from Proverbs that speaks to that trust. Many of you will know it, and I'll ask the band to come on stage now, and we'll close out with a wonderful song together. But uh, I'd like to ask that you read this beautiful passage with me. And uh, then I'll pray, and we'll sing. And then if you want prayer this morning, I'll ask the prayer partners to come forward. They're available for you anytime that you ever have a request of any kind. We all have requests, and it's good for us to acknowledge that we all have needs, and those are always prayers that are in confidence um, for any reason up here. But let's, let's say this passage together, both here in the auditorium and in the venue. Would you join me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Father, we thank you that we can trust in you with all of our hearts because you are totally good all the time. You are completely gracious. You are loving. Sometimes you give us what we didn't anticipate, what we didn't ask for, but you are still gracious there. And in the midst of whatever struggles while we're going through as grandparents or parents, we ask that your grace would come to us, that your power would be made perfect in our weaknesses that you would grant us a newfound capacity to trust in you, to wait on you, to trust that you're able to restore and rebuild those who put their focus on Christ, the Son of the living God, who was and is and is forevermore. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.